Grab a Bible, if you will, and start turning to Exodus chapter 14. I think you're going to really appreciate today and the message. I don't know about the story at the beginning, but hopefully you'll enjoy the story as well. So a husband woke up late, kind of in a frenzy, a little, you know, frantic because he was late, and uh, jumped out of bed, ran right for the coffee maker, and noticed that it wasn't even turned on. And then he realized nothing was started. So he quickly finds his wife, and he says, Hey, honey, how come you didn't make coffee? She said, Because God said that's your job. And he smiled. She said, It's true. It's in the Bible. She said, It's in the Bible that the husband's supposed to make coffee. Uh Uh-huh. And where would I find that? Hebrews. (laughs) I know you had to think about that one for a minute. And I might regret saying that today. But you know what? That's what today is going to be about. And it might remind you of something we talked about maybe a couple months ago about regrets. I would imagine that there's not a person sitting here that doesn't have a regret. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes it could be one of those things of, man, why did I, why did I say that? You know, maybe it was this morning. Why did, I, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? Sometimes it's bigger. I mean, you can look back in your life and say, you know, that was a big mistake in my life. Why did I do that? And you might even take it a step further and think, how could I have been so stupid to make that decision? I can't believe I did that. Some decisions and some regrets, they're fixable. I mean, you can say the wrong thing to somebody in your life, and you can go up and apologize and try to reconcile. Some things are fixable. Some things are not fixable. There may be things in your past that you're like, there's no way you can fix that decision that was made, and now you have to go on. And those are really hard. And the question that I'm going to ask you today to really start to ponder is how do you respond to those regrets? Because all of us have regrets, little and big, and sometimes we respond in a good way. Sometimes we respond in a bad way. Sometimes we try to fix it. Sometimes we try to make amends. But if you can't, if you can't make amends, if you can't go back and change something, if you can't fix something from the past, you've got two choices. You can either dwell on the past and get stuck there. And a lot of people get stuck in the past. But I'll tell you something, it robs you of today. It robs you of tomorrow. That you can live so much in the past and dwell so much on what could have, should have. I wish, you know, maybe I should have. I shouldn't have. Man, I can't fix that. It will rob you entirely of today. And you will miss a lot of today because you're stuck in yesterday. Here's something I want you to really ponder. It's a good thing that, a good reminder for all of us. The past is a good history lesson, but it's a bad place to live. Amen to that? Yeah, because that's true for all of us. And you're going to see today um, some regrets. You're going to see how people are responding to regrets. So if you've got Exodus 14 open, and uh, we're not going to read the whole thing. So uh, I would encourage you at some point, maybe today or this week, go back and read through Exodus 14. Um, So we're going to jump at verse 5. Remember from last week, if you're just joining us, that the Israelites were in Egypt, and then the last plague happened, the firstborn son died, 
and then the Israelites left Egypt. So they've now left. There's about two and a half million of them, approximately. The Bible tells us there's 600,000 men, plus the women, plus the children. There's probably about a quarter of a million, uh, or I mean 2.5 million people that left. And so now they're on the journey. They've all left Egypt. They're going down. And uh, maybe just if we can pull up a map, I'll just show you a little bit on this. Um, so, there we go. So they left Egypt up here, and they're heading down the Sinai Peninsula. You can see where Egypt is. They left. They're heading down here. So as they're going down there, this is where today's lesson starts. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Do you hear regret there? Yeah, a major regret. What have we done? I mean, if you've ever asked yourself, what have I done? Or somebody else, what have you done? And there's the regret. There it is. It starts right there. There's a huge regret. And he's like, oh my goodness, what did I do? I let all these people leave. And he forgot that his whole country was just destroyed by all these plagues. So he makes a decision. He tries to fix it. So he had his chariot made ruddy and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. They were excited. I love that God said boldly. You know, they had laughed. They're free. It's the first time they're heading out. And, and then they're heading out. They're bold in this decision. So the Israelites are really excited about, about what's going on in their lives. And remember, they plundered the Egyptians. They went to their neighbors and said, give me silver, give me gold. And they just gave them all kinds of stuff. So they went out very wealthy from slaves to very wealthy. So then the Egyptians, verse 9, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. So if you bring that map up again, where these places are is at the bottom tip of the Sinai Peninsula, if you can see that. Kind of at the bottom of the V, that's where the Israelites are. Now you might notice geographically there's mountains to the north, and they've got nowhere to go. They're pretty well trapped. God did this by design. In fact, you can read earlier that God could have taken them straight east to get to the land of Canaan. That would have been the shortest way possible. But God said, but I know them well enough that if they, if they encounter a problem, they're going to run back to Egypt. You know, so God knows us that when he's calling us out of something, this is where I want you to really listen because I believe God is calling our church out. When God calls us out, when he... He calls us out. He knows how quickly we want to go back because that's our human nature. We don't like change. And so they're moving out. God says, no, I'm going to head south. We're going to head south. So they head south. Now they're trapped. And here's verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and cried out to the Lord. 
They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out here? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Okay, here's a life principle. When God is going to make a change in your life or you want to change, I want you to see like this in in terms of, I'll give you two different analogies. One is if you leave the East Coast and you're going to go by boat over to Europe, while you're in the water leaving the East Coast and you can still see land, you're still okay because you can still see what was past. But then you get into the middle, and the middle is petrifying. It's always frightening when you're in the middle because you can't see where you're going, you can't see where you came from, and change is happening. And then imagine if you came into a storm, and now you're petrified. Maybe we should go back, but we know we're supposed to keep going. What do we do? And we're really unsettled until we get to the next, we can see land again. Well, in the same way, here's the other analogy that God's using. You've got Egypt, you've got Canaan, and you've got this desert right in the middle. And they were called out of Egypt for a new life to the land of Canaan, but now they're out in this desert, and it starts to get hard. I mean, they're about to get tacked. They think they're about to get annihilated. And they're terrified. They're terrified because... They can't go back because the Egyptians are right there. They can't go forward because you got a sea, a Red Sea there. Uh, they can't go that way. So all of a sudden, they're trapped and they're terrified. And friends, how many times in our lives has God wanted to call us out of something, but our fears of the desert and trap us, and they keep us in Egypt so that we're like, you know what, I'd rather have bad, I'd rather have be a slave in Egypt than to go through a desert of terrifying unknown in order to get to something better in life. And boy, this is true of all of us, and I think God always is, is trying to like get us to move, like, like, trust me. Trust me in the desert. I'm calling you out. But it doesn't mean we're not going to be terrified. And they were terrified and they thought Moses would just brought them out there to let them all die. Moses immediately turns her attention to God. Verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That was very prophetic. Because Moses did not know what God was going to do, but he knew that God was going to do something. See, his trust was in God. And he pointed everybody to God and said, wait on God. God didn't bring us out here to hurt us. God didn't bring us out here to destroy us. He brought us out here to test us to grow us, to form us, and allow us and help us to learn how to follow him. That was the purpose of the desert. And so Moses quickly 
turns everybody to God. But then you can almost see Moses is starting to falter. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Isn't that great? I mean, you, you have to love that about God. Just move forward. Go. I'm sure Moses was like, uh, are we swimming? What, what are we doing, God? Uh, move on. But I love that, that God did not hesitate to just say to them, Moses, move forward. See, that's a great lesson, isn't it? The people were looking back. Did you bring us out here to kill us? We were better off before. And God says, move on. Move forward. When I'm calling you out, you keep your eyes on me and you keep moving forward. And you don't take your eyes off of me. Move. Then he tells him how. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Um, this is pretty amazing that God tells Moses what to do. Just raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. Um, a few years back, when we went to Israel, we went to the Red Sea. And, uh, and you can just try to picture like, holy cow, this is a really big place. And for God to just part the sea was absolutely amazing that Moses just must have been like, wow, this is going to be incredible. We're about to watch what God does. So then verse 19, so now God's acting. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Remember, God was present with his people, and he was in front of them, leading by a pillar of fire by night, and during the day, a pillar, a cloud, so that they could see God is with us, God is in front of us, keep our eyes on God, follow God. There was no way for them to miss that, and all of a sudden, God goes to the rear in protection. I think there's an amazing thing for us there, too. That when God calls us out, God is also protecting us. God will be our front guard and our leader, but God will also go to the rear and protect us so that we keep following. And there's the real key, so that they would keep following where God's going. So the pillar of cloud also moved in front of, and stood behind, stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel then this is, this is amazing. Don't miss this. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Now, I can't fathom that. How can God create a barrier? Now, it's nighttime. Remember that? It's nighttime. So God makes one side dark, like the darkness of night, and the Israelites are now in day. 
and it's light. And so Israel could see each other. The Egyptians couldn't see each other. It was dark. And that shouldn't surprise us because that was one of the things that God did while they were still in Egypt, that God made the Egyptians be in complete darkness for three days where the Israelites had normal light. So here God does it again, that he makes one side light, makes one side dark. Pretty amazing. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and all the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them. And all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When God calls us out, whether it's as a church or a family or individually, God is actually working on your behalf because the obedience it takes for us to respond to God and follow him is hard. I mean, this was not easy for the Israelites. This took immense a step of faith, and they were terrified, and then they watched the miracles, and this is what I love, how God, when we walk and we step out in faith, that God will show us along the way these miracles along the way, light, dark, the chariot wheels. God will show us signs that he has not abandoned us. He'll show us signs that we're doing what he asked us to do, and he's, and he's performing signs and miracles so that we can keep following and it's so necessary for us. We need that because otherwise, in our fear, God knows, in our fear, we'll go back. He knows that. Okay, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. With a wall of water on their right and on their left, the day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses' servant. Do you find that interesting? That the Israelites finally put their trust in God. It took all of this for them to finally trust God. They still had a lot of desert in front of them. But here's the, what I think is remarkable. You wonder why God did this? Like, why did God take them to the Dead Sea and across? We talked earlier because they might run back to Egypt. But what happens when God takes you on the other side of the Red Sea and then closes the water over it? Now you can't go back. Did you catch that? I don't think I ever saw that before. They couldn't go back. God prevented them. They would have had to go all the way up, all the way around to try to get back, and it probably they wouldn't have made it. So God made sure that they were actually in the desert, and sometimes 
God wants us right there. He wants us fully relying on him. That we can't go, we can't go back. We don't know how to go forward. In my own life, I'll tell you when we experience this um, pretty fully. Some of you have heard my story that when we came from Chicago uh, 13 years ago, it was in 2008, the crash of 2008, we were trying to sell our house, we couldn't sell our house, and in the course of two years, we lost um, all the equity, I mean, every last dollar of equity, and then sold the home. We were now in debt for this house, and that wasn't our plan, but that's how it all worked out. And I remember the day came that it was an aha moment that I felt like God said, you can't go back. You can't. There's nothing there. There's no home there. You can't afford to go back. I have you right where I want you. And that was a scary time. What will it look like, God? What will the future hold? And I remember praying to God that if you're going to leave me here, I know that sounds bad. If you're going to leave me here, let's do something God-sized. Let's do something together that only you could do. And I'll tell you, these last 13 years, we've watched God over and over and over amazingly and bring more people to Christ. And I really believe that God is at the verge of calling us out again and leading us out. And it means we're going to take steps of faith. We're going to have to trust him. We're going to follow his lead. And we're going to see where God takes us. But what does this have to do with even us? Individually. Remember those regrets and mistakes we talked about? When we make those regrets. And we bring them to God. And we confess them. God forgives us. That's what the cross is about. But our human nature always wants to pick it back up again. Like when God says, you're forgiven, he wants us to move forward. The past is a history lesson. He doesn't want us to live there anymore. He wants us to move forward. But so often what happens in all of us is we go back and we try to pick that up. Like, like I'm not worthy to move forward or this is really bothering me that I'm going to carry it. I'm going to keep going forward. But I want you to see the cross of Jesus like the Red Sea. The Israelites, if they wanted to go back to Egypt, they could only go as far as the Red Sea, and they were stopped. They couldn't go. Everything they left behind on the other side of the Red Sea, they'll never get. It's gone. See that like your sins. Like the crosses like the Red Sea where, where when we confess them, we can only go back to the cross. But everything that we confess is on the other side of the Red Sea. It's, already, it's garbage. God says, it's as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. And so many of us spend too much wasted time and energy trying to Swim back to the Red Sea, across the Red Sea, to grab that thing that we regret. 
and then try to somehow carry that back through the Red Sea. Why? Because you know what the cross is? It means everything from that moment previous is gone. It's gone. And you know what God says? Move on. That's what he says. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. God gives us forgiveness. Think about post-Red Sea. You're forgiven from the past. Move on. God's not holding anything against you. Move on. You may not be able to fix those regrets, but come to grips with it. Try to make amends. If you can't, move on. And say, God, I can't do anything about that anyways. So forgive me, and let's move on. And I pray that today, I pray that today, when you come for communion, would you finally drop that baggage? Would you once and for all that load you've been carrying through the Red Sea, would you finally let it go? And tell God, I can't carry this anymore. I can't. I can't live in the past. I can't live with these regrets. I can't live knowing all the mistakes I made. I can't do it anymore. God doesn't want you to do it anymore. God wants to do with your sins like he did with the Red Sea. We're going to just drown all the old stuff. Gone. Dead. Move on. That's grace. That's living in grace. That's like, well, I, I can't go back. No. You can only move forward. Learn from the past. But don't carry it anymore. That's what Jesus did. So I hope what you grab out of this lesson is that God's talking to us collectively, but he's talking to us individually that we can't move forward if we're still holding all this stuff. God's message to us is very simple, two words. Move on. Turn to the person next to you and say, move on. Let's pray.